so good to have. Be in church, yes? Yes? One or two of you, happy about it. The rest of you are thinking, I'd rather be home. And be, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is snuggle up on the couch watching movies kind of weather, isn't it? No? Yes? With coffee, sorry, yes. With coffee. Hey, um, before I get into the message this morning, if you weren't here last week, we handed out uh, journals for this series um, called Counterculture, where we're going through the nine Beatitudes. And in there is, is a space for you to take notes from the message, but also for you to be able to do some extra study during the week. So if you didn't get one of these last week, why don't you put up your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you. Just keep your hand up until they come and uh, just keep them right up high because, you know, until you've got one, there's a bunch down the front here. That'd be awesome. How many people have used it this week? Talk to me. Thank you. Um, how many people have enjoyed it? You got something out of it? All right, that's good. Just keep your hands up until they come. They're coming, they're coming. They're nearly there. Awesome. So good. How many people enjoyed last week's message that we're here? Yes? I reckon it's the hardest message out of all of them in the whole entire series, so that's why I palmed it off to Trinity to do. Yeah. Man, you guys are serious today. You know, when I was in Fiji... Um, you, when you, when you um, are sitting around eating, food's a big part of their culture, which is why I, I fit in really, really well. Um, and uh, it's a big part of their culture. And when you're sitting around having a meal with them, they're laughing. There's all sorts of like, laughter, and it's loud, and it's, and it's full of energy. And then they come into church, and they're like this. And so I told them off. I said, if you can laugh and you can have joy and everything around food, then in this house you should have even more so because we're not gathering around food, but we're gathering around Jesus. And um, I say the same thing to you this morning, all right? And uh, come on, we, we need to get a little bit more excited than we are. Some of us, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad I'm doing this message this morning. We, we're doing the Beatitudes series, right? And I'm doing the Blessed Are Those That Mourn. Because I think sometimes um, when, we, when we look at our lives and we look at our circumstances and our situations, we, we mourn, but there's this thing that word blessed means at the start, as you heard last week, that word blessed in the Greek doesn't mean that you're happy, because happiness is based on happening. So when everything is going well, we're happy. When things are not going well, we're not happy. No, no, the word blessed there in the Greek literally means, yes, I'll release them in a minute, it uh, literally means that you can be full of joy and content no matter what is going on. With that said, switch, you can go out through that door. It means that you can have a joy on the inside of you, whether things are going great or whether things are going disastrous. That, that word blessed means that I am, I am solidified, I am in a solid state of joy no matter what happens in my world. It's interesting to me that, that this is the first kind of uh, sermon that Jesus preaches, a sermon on the mount, and he starts off by talking about how to be blessed, how to have that joy no matter what's going on. In fact, all through the Old Testament, we see blessing after blessing, yeah? Blessing of Abraham, blessing, 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 blessing. blessing. Then Jesus comes, new covenants established, and the first thing that Jesus starts to talk about is how to be blessed. The hard thing about the Beatitudes is that it's completely countercultural to what we do in life. Like last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, for, their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like, are you telling me, because that word poor means to be destitute. So Jesus is saying this, he's saying, the best place you can be is to be destitute in your spirit then you get all of heaven. It's a foreign concept to us because we associate poor with a bad thing, but in the kingdom, when it says destitute, it means that my whole entire life is reliant on him, and, and it's saying that when we live that way, then man, all of heaven is yours. It's hard for us in the Western world to understand that because we have so much, yes? 
We have so much, but I tell you, it's not hard for people in Fiji to understand that because they have so little. And so you know, the classic quote of Mother Teresa was, you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. You see, the reason why we see miracles and healings and stuff like that all through the third world is because if Jesus doesn't do it, they die. We go to the doctor. Are you with me? The other thing I love about the Beatitudes is that they all end with theirs is or they are. In other words, Jesus is saying this, is that there is, there is more than just being saved. There's so much more of God that you can have. If you can get your head around these Beatitudes and get a shift in your perspective and understanding and not live by the world's culture but live by kingdom culture, there's so much more of God that you can have that maybe you've never, ever experienced at all. And so Matthew 5, 4, which is what we're talking about today, says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be what? Comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I, I, I don't know, but when I, I've always read that, and I'm like, is Jesus saying, be happy when you're sad? I don't get that. It's like things are going bad and I should be happy about that. Has anybody else read it like that before? You can talk to me today. Has anyone else read that? It's like, blessed are you when you mourn. Like, it's a good thing to be mourning. I, I, I'm, my, my dad passed away in January. It's 10 years since my brother passed away. I, I can tell you, in those two moments, I wasn't like, woohoo, I get to mourn. It doesn't make sense. How does that work? I believe that what this beatitude is trying to teach us, and I think that we'll discover as we go along, is that, is that God shows up in unique ways. When we're in mourning in ways that he doesn't show up any other time. And he turns up in your bad day in ways that we never ever will experience other than in those bad days. And there may be a part of God that you have not experienced yet because you're stuck in mourning and you haven't managed to get through to the comfort. And there's real life change that takes place when, when God meets you in the middle of your bad day or your worst time that I just can't explain, but God moves in the middle of it. And people that lean into it discover a thing about God that we don't discover any other way. People that run away from it never discover the comfort or they never really experience the comfort of God. Here's a saying that, uh, that I read. There is happiness even in difficult days because we will experience the provision, the purpose, and the presence of God. That even in our worst days, we can find joy and comfort because in our worst days, we can, if we're looking, if we've got our eyes open and our spiritual ears open, we can experience the provision and the purpose and the presence of God even in our worst moments. This is kind of like a, a serious message, and, and I was trying to find um, some sort of humor to throw in to try and lighten it up a little bit, you know, because who likes intense stuff? Not me. I like to get people laughing. I couldn't find anywhere in this message to put something humorous in, so I just thought I'd tell you a story. Nothing to do with the message, but it's funny, and then hopefully we'll all relax a little bit. Is that all right? In 1972, a man in Florida, this is a true story, a man in Florida in the US was working on his motorbike outside on his kind of, uh, by his ranch slider. Um, unfortunately, he, he managed to kick it into gear don't know how, and he ended up going through the ranch slider into the lounge on his motorbike, smashed glass everywhere. His wife runs in, sees what has happened, and rings an ambulance straight away. Ambulance turns up, takes him away, and then she quickly just cleans up all, all the mess, including the petrol that had been spilt with some paper towels, and then she threw those uh, paper towels into the toilet and went on her way to the hospital to see how her husband was. Luckily enough, when she got there, he just had minor cuts and bruises, and so they actually released him and sent him home. 
he got home and he saw all the mess and he felt so sad about it and so frustrated about it, he decided that he would go and have a cigarette in the toilet. He sat there in the toilet having a cigarette and when he got to the point where he couldn't smoke it anymore and just had a little bit of a butt left, he flicked it between his legs into the toilet bowl, which ignited with the petrol and caused an explosion, which blew him off the toilet and burnt all his nether regions. His wife then rings an ambulance and the same ambulance officers turn up the second time. They get him sorted out. They put him on a stretcher. And as they're carrying him down the stairs, they say to the wife, what happened? As she's explaining what had just happened, they were laughing so much, they dropped him and he broke his arm. (laughs) That's somebody who's having a bad day, yes? I want to encourage you, if you are going through something really, really difficult at the moment, if you open up your heart today, you can have a surprise at the peace of God that will come and comfort you in the middle of your morning. The attitudes are countercultural because they go against normal human behavior and also against some of our Christian culture. If we've been taught really bad theology, We'll have wrong views towards God. And one of the wrong views that I see in people sometimes is this, is that they think that if I give my life to God, everything's going to go fantastic. If you think your faith in God promises you no pain, then, friend, you're going to be bitterly disappointed with God because God doesn't promise us no pain. He promises us salvation. So why is it that we get frustrated when bad things happen and we don't understand and we're like, God, what are you doing? I think one of the the reasons why we struggle with this is because we think bad things shouldn't happen to good people. I I don't know, I've had that thought, I'm sure all of you had that thought, it's like, how could someone like that, they're such good people. How could something so bad happen to someone so good? Some of us have a view that if we follow Jesus, our whole entire life is rainbows and sprinkles. It's all good. In fact, some of us have this thought process that God is obligated to make my life go well because I give and I serve and I pray and I read my Bible and, and, and I do all the things that I'm meant to do. And so none of this bad stuff is supposed to happen. God is meant to only let good things happen. But what the scripture teaches us is that no matter how we see it, God is always moving powerfully all the time. Always moving powerfully. In fact, there's a a song that says, when you don't think anything is happening, something is happening. God is always working. God is always doing something. And we we read um, scriptures like Hebrews chapter 11 where he talks about the parting of the people that had faith and the parting of the Red Sea and healings that took place and miracles that took place and the dead people that were raised. And, and, we, and we love that part, but we, just, we don't really like reading the last part of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 to 40 says this, there were others who were tortured, imprisoned, put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two, they were killed by the sword. There's that word, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the grounds. And listen to this, this is what it says. All these, all, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since what? Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. I don't know about you, but if I was the guy about to get sawn in two, I would be saying, excuse me, I would rather have a Red Sea moment right now. I'd rather have a dead person raised to life moment right now. The being sawn in two part doesn't really, really fit with my my vibe at the moment. And you can look at that and you can go, man, none of them received what they were promised. And you can go, well, that's not fair. And I hear that a lot in life. I mean, if you're a parent, 
There's a stage in your parenting where that's all you ever hear. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. When we say it's not fair, what we're really saying is I'm not getting what I think I deserve. You know, here's my thing. I I praise God that he's not fair. God is not fair. God is not fair, and I praise God that he's not fair, because if he was fair, then we'd have to pay for our sins ourselves. I thank God that he's not fair. I thank goodness, otherwise we'd be paying for our sins ourselves. 2 Timothy 4.18 says this, The Lord will rescue me. Everyone say, rescue me. From every evil attack. Woohoo! And will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hold on, God. Which one is it? Are you going to rescue me or bring me to heaven? Which one? It's both. Sometimes God rescues you. Sometimes God takes people to heaven. It's both. You may be rescued in this life or rescued in the next life. And when you understand that it doesn't really matter what's going on, it doesn't matter whether God rescues me now or he rescues me by bringing me to heaven, it brings a maturity to your faith that you just don't get any other way because you understand that on your worst days, you understand that God is either going to rescue me or eventually he's going to bring me. Either way, I will be saved and safe. And when you get that into your thinking, you start to mature in your walk, and then you can say to people that are going through the same stuff that you're going through or you've been through, you can say to them, I know exactly how you feel. I just wish you had the joy that I had. Because remember, blessed. Joy in the middle of a season that seems like it shouldn't be joyful. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. The second reason why I think we struggle with this is is we think pain means something's wrong. That if we're going through pain, we're doing something wrong or God's doing something wrong. James 1, 2 to 3 says this, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You see, mature believers in the middle of mourning are comforted by the fact that God is up to something, that God is doing something, that I'm not just going for a trial for pain's sake, I'm going for a trial because God's doing something. God's up to something. God didn't create the bad day, but God will use the bad day for good, that God's going to do something, that in the middle of a trial, God is developing, that's what it says here, that he's developing perseverance. God is a developer. God is constantly looking to develop us. Why? Because God's more concerned about our character than he is about your comfort. God's more concerned about developing your character than you being comfortable. And we can sometimes say to God, well, well, hold on a sec, what are you doing? This is not very comfortable. God's developing character. And before you think that God is mean for doing that, we do that as parents all the time. Tomorrow morning, some of you are going to walk into your children's bedroom and open the door and say, all right, it's time to get up and go to school. And your kid is going to come back to you and say, can I just, I'm just really comfortable. Can I just lie here for a bit longer? And your response will be, yes, no problem. I'm all about your comfort. (laughs) You just sleep in, darling. No need to get up. Just ring the bell. I'll bring you breakfast when you're ready. And you know what? You can just turn up to school when you feel like it. And if you don't feel like it, that's okay. You can, you, I want you to be comfortable. No, you say, get your butt out of bed and get to school. I don't like school. Too bad. I don't care. Go to school. Why? Because you know it's for their benefit that they go because you don't want them to be dumb and stupid and unable to get a job and support themselves because you don't want them living with you for the rest of their lives. You're not being mean. You're trying to develop character in them. Why? Because when they get a job, you can't turn around to your boss and go, you know what, I was just so comfortable in bed this morning. I just thought I'd sleep in for a little bit. He goes, that's the fifth time this week. Guess what? You can sleep in all day tomorrow 
because you don't have a job with me anymore. We're trying to teach them character. Why? Because character trumps comfort. 1 James 4 says this, let perseverance, remember it says I'm developing perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and what? Complete. Not lacking anything. That's why, friend, when you pray prayers like, God, I want everything you have for me. I don't want to be lacking in anything that you have for me. It's a really, really dangerous prayer. Because the only way for you not to be lacking in anything is for you to go through trials of many kind so that your perseverance can be developed and then you are complete and lacking in nothing. You know, when I was at Bible college, people used to pray that prayer. They'd get down on their knees on the altar and go, God, break me. God, break me. I've shared this before. God, break me. I would pray, God, bless me. God, bless me. God, bless me. Because I've learned that God doesn't need any encouragement in breaking you. He's quite capable of doing that on his own, yes? 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this. It says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials. What, are these guys sick in the head or something? For a little while, these trials show that your faith is genuine. It has been tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials... It will bring much praise. That word praise actually means satisfaction and fulfillment. It's not, it's, it's not bringing much praise and everyone's going, you're awesome. It's, it's a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, it becomes a testimony to lost people. That they're going to ask you, how have you got through that? How have you been able to get through that? And you're going to be able to say, hey, I just wish you had the joy that I have. And they're going to say, what's that joy? And all of a sudden, you've got an opportunity to bear witness to the whole world. Some of the reason why we can't look at a scripture like that and go, yes, I agree with that. I embrace that. It's because there are six stages to grief that we go through. The first three are ones that everybody goes through. The first stage of grief is shock. I can remember when I got the phone call 10 years ago, my dad was on the phone and I answered the phone. I said, hello, and, and, and it's dad. I'm like, oh, dad, how you doing? It's good to hear from you. And then he says, your brother's drowned. He's lost at sea. They can't find him. Shock enters you straight away. You go from this joyous occasion because dad's rung to just shock. Just shock. I think I just, I just looked at Trinity. I didn't know what to say. The sense of shock. And then the sorrow starts to kick in. Lying awake all night, wondering whether they found him or not. Day after day, never found him. The sorrow not being able to, to bring a finality to it. It was so weird doing a, a, a funeral without a casket. So we, we carried in and out his canoe instead. There's the sorrow, and then there's the struggle of, why God? He's 42 with two kids. Why would you do this? Why would you do that? It's not fair to my niece and my nephew, why would you do this? Everyone goes through these three. Here's the problem is that if you're not careful, you'll get stuck in it. You'll get stuck in the struggle. You'll get stuck in why God, why are you doing this? Whether that be the lost loved one or whether it be a traumatic experience you go through in your life or whether something really unfair has happened to you, like abuse, that's not your fault. If we, if we, we can get stuck in the struggle we can get stuck in the shock and the sorrow and the struggle and go, God, this isn't fear. This should never have happened to me. Why did you let this happen to me? We will get stuck in that and we'll just go through this perpetual cycle of grief. Never, ever, 
coming free of it. And unfortunately, the only way to get free of it is the next three. First thing you've got to do is you've got to surrender. You've got to turn around and just go, you know what, God, I don't understand this, but I know only you can help me in this. And so you surrender it to God. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But I surrender. I surrender. After you surrender, then God does a sanctification, which basically means that God starts to work in your life to bring about healing to you, to heal you of that wound, to heal you of that trauma, to heal you of that loss. God starts to work in your life to heal you. For what reason? So that you can be of what? Service. That you can now use what you went through to bring healing to others. And that, my friend, is how those that mourn are comforted. I was talking to my mum last night. And as sad as it was to see my dad pass, three ladies now from their indoor bowls group. That's kind of what you do in your 80s, indoor bowls. Three of them, because of the funeral of my father, and now attending church with her on a Sunday morning. That's the comfort in the morning. Oh, man, it's sad that Dad's gone. But we know where he is. But through his funeral, three people have given their lives to Jesus, let alone any others that we don't know about. That's where the comfort comes to the morning because it's not, it's not to be consumed on ourselves, but once God heals us, it's to bring healing to others. What we can do sometimes is we struggle with all of this because, number three, we, we think that we know best. We think that we know best. In other words, God, you're doing it wrong, okay? I, I prayed yesterday, and I prayed a prayer that told you what you needed to do, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that prayer one more time, and if you could listen this time, because you didn't last time, because you're doing it wrong, and you need to do it like this, okay? So I'm going to pray one more time, and you better get it right this time. Don't look at me like that. That's what we all do, yes? I pray and say, God, you really need to move in this situation. So he does, and I'm like, no, no, not like that. Like this. That's how I wanted you to move. We think we know best. Isaiah says this, uh, in chapter 55, verse 8 to 9, it says, This plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How, how high is the heavens from us? So how big a gap is there between how we think and how God thinks? Pretty huge, yes? You see, mature believers or mature followers of Christ, they go from mourning to comfort, believe this. They're like, I, I don't understand why, but I trust you. Because you're the king of kings, you're the Lord of lords. Your thoughts are better than my thoughts. Your ways are better than my ways. Those that move from mourning to comfort have a comfort in knowing that that in the middle of their bad day, God knows best. That God, his thoughts towards you are always good and not for evil. That God knows best. And we have to believe and we have to trust that God knows best, even when it doesn't look like he does know what he's doing. I think the hardest thing I've, I've ever had to do in pastoring was to talk to families that have lost a loved one way before their time. I, I think the hardest thing I've ever done is a funeral of a child. How, how do you explain that that's okay? How do you explain that? I, I can remember talking to my nephew and niece when my brother passed away, like, why? Why would God do this? Is what my niece would say. And to be honest with you, I didn't really have an answer for her right there and then because I was thinking, why would God do this? And then God showed me this scripture. Psalm 57 verse 1 in the New Living Translation, it says this, good people pass away. 
the godly often die before their time. But no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. I truly believe with all of my heart that the reason why God took my brother when he took him is because he was protecting him from the evil that was to come. Because if you knew my brother, as he dived into that water to save three young men that were drowning, managed to save one and lost his life saving the other two, I can tell you now, if he had lived with the guilt of those two kids dying, he would not have been a nice person to be around. It would have destroyed him. It would have destroyed his family. It would have destroyed his marriage. God in his mercy saved him from the evil that could come. God doesn't cause evil. He protects from evil. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. God is not capable of evil. It seems unfair, but I'm telling you, one day when you meet God face to face and you ask him why, I guarantee you that you will receive comfort in his answer. Why? Because the Bible says this in Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. That word close in the Greek, it's almost like it's saying that, that, that there's another level of the presence of God reserved for brokenhearted people. That there's a way that God gets close to brokenhearted people that he doesn't get close to others. There's a presence, there's a comfort, there's something that God does that you never experience any other way than when you're in the middle of a bad situation or a bad day or a bad circumstance. And can I just say this in all of what I've just said? If I could sum it up in three words for you, it would be this, God's got this. God's got this. I know it doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't, doesn't seem to pan out. It goes against everything that we would believe, but God's got this. There's a reason for everything, and God's got this. And it's never for your harm, and it's never for your evil. It's always worked for your good. God's got this. But, but, but Craig, you don't understand. I, I've been struggling with this for years, and I'm struggling, and yeah, I, I know, but God's got this. So what do I do on my worst day? What do I do? Well, if anybody had bad days, it was the Apostle Paul. He had some of the worst days ever. He was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. I mean, this guy was just, just constant bad news. And in 2 Corinthians 1, Three to five, he says this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. I love that Paul, who's had all this stuff happen to him, says he's a God of all comfort. But he turns around and says, but his comfort is not just for me, but so that I may experience his comfort so that I can comfort others. It's always, it's always more than just us. It's always more than about what we need, but about what those around us need. He goes on a little further in chapter 1 and, and verse 8 to 11, and he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far from our ability to endure, so that we were despaired of life. Most theologians believe that that, that, that wording there, the speed of life, was that Paul had got to a place where he was suicidal because of what was going on. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death, but 
This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as what you help us by your prayers, that many will give thanks on behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. What do we do in our worst day? We're going to pull three things out of that verse. If I can just get Madison to come and play on the keys, that would be awesome. The first thing is, is that we refocus on what is happening in me, not what is happening to me. We refocus on what is happening in me, not what is happening to me. If something is happening in me, then God is wanting to do something in me. Are you with me? Like if something is happening to me, then God's wanting to do something in me. He's wanting to work on the character or changes. 2 Corinthians 1.9 says this, but this happened that we might not what rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So when I'm going through the stuff, what is it that he's trying to teach me? What is it that God's trying to do? What is it that God's trying to change on the inside of me? Remember, God is a developer, and when we pray for him to take it away, it puts the development on pause. When we pray that God will remove our difficulties, our circumstances, situations, stuff that we're struggling with, God's trying to develop something in you, and when we pray that he takes it away, we, we delay what God is trying to develop in us. Let me put it this way. My pain is either a jail that imprisons me or it's a school that shapes me. Your pain can either be a, be a jail that imprisons you or it can be a school that shapes me. I've learned more about who I am and who God is through the pain than through the pleasure. You know, when I used to play rep soccer, our coach always said this, you'll learn more from your losses than you'll ever learn from your wins. I like the All Blacks philosophy, which I've probably shared here before, where they say we either win or we learn. We don't lose, we learn. Pain can either be a jail that imprisons you or it can be a school that shapes us. We need to refocus because it's not so that we rely on ourselves, but that we rely on Him who raises the dead. Are you with me today? Second thing is remember God always delivers. God always delivers. Second Corinthians 1.10, we just read this. He has delivered us from such deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our sights that He will continue to deliver us. God always comes through. He has, He will, and He will continue. Come on. He has, He will, and He will continue. Come on, let's say that again. He has, He will, and He will continue. He has delivered you, He will deliver you, and He continues to deliver you. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God that saved you then. He's the God that will save you now. He's the God that's gonna save you in time to come. He's the God that healed you then. He's the God that can heal you now. He's the God who will heal you in time to come because He has, He will, and He'll continue to be. God never, ever lets us down, and we need to remember. Remember what it is that He did. He saved me then. He did this for me then. He can do that for me now. And He can do that for me then because He's the same God then as He is here. And He is here. I don't need to be in despair. I don't need to be in mourning. I can be comforted by the fact that the same God that saved me then is the same God now. We need to remember the best predictor of God's present help is in His past faithfulness. The best predictor that God's gonna help you now is the faithfulness of when He's helped you before. It's who He is. I refocus because God is doing something in me. 
I remember because God has gotten me through this before and it will get me through it again. You know, the biggest problem is psychologists say that what we do is our brain tells us when we're going through something, our brain causes these emotions on the inside of us that makes us feel like we've never, ever, you've never faced this before. You've never, ever had a bad day before. And your brain goes, You've never, ever had a bad day before. Your brain's telling you. You've never experienced this before. How many people know that you have experienced bad days numerous times in your life? Bad situations numerous times in your life. Heartbreak on occasions in your life. You have experienced this before. You have had a bad day before. Your brain is lying to you. What you need to tell your emotions and tell your brain is, yeah, I have had these days before. And when I had that day before, God came through like that. And that God is the same today. And it'll be the same tomorrow. And so if He came through for me then, He'll come through for me now. And you just got, you got to start to preach to yourself. Start to tell yourself who God is. The only way I can kind of explain it to you is, is Trinity and I like to watch TV from, from time to time. If you ever start to watch a, a, a TV program, it's like seven seasons to the program. And the first season, you're kind of halfway through and, and, and you start to get worried for the main character. Are they going to live? Are they going to survive? You know, it's two o'clock in the morning. Shall we watch one more? Just one more? And, and you're like, man, is he, is he going to survive this? Yes, he is. There's like seven seasons. And you're in season one. Of course he's going to survive. Stop your brain telling you that, oh, because he's still there seven seasons later. Of course he's going to survive. And sometimes we forget how this all ends. We forget how this all ends. There are further seasons in God that we have not experienced yet. But Revelation does talk about how it ends. And in the last chapter of the book of Revelation, in 21, 3 to 4, it says this, and it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne room saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Friend, we know how it ends. No pain, no mourning, no death, every tear white from our eye. He may rescue us then, or He may rescue us then. But we know how it ends. Healed, whole, with Him. We know how it ends. We're going to refocus we're going to remember. And then the third thing when you're going for a bad day is you're going to rely on solid relationships. Solid relationships. Second Corinthians 1.11 says this, He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us an answer to the prayers of many. We need solid relationships because we need people praying for us on our bad days. And we need to be praying for others on their bad days. We need people praying and that only comes through relationships. God says, man, if you refocus on me, don't rely on yourself, rely on me. Remember that I have saved you then, I can save you now and I'll save you again. But you need solid relationships because you help us with your prayers. You help us with our prayers. We're not in this alone. We're not meant to do it alone. We're meant to pray for each other, check on each other. We need to refocus, we need to remember and we need to rely and that's how we get for a bad day. 
Because why? Because He is the God of all comfort. Whether we receive that comfort through Him directly or whether we receive it from the people around us, He is the God of all comfort. And even though some of you might be going through pain right now, and maybe you're still going through pain from stuff that happened earlier in your life, God is the God of all comfort. That blessed are those that mourn, blessed are those that are going through that stuff because they not might be, hopefully, but they shall be comforted. There's a comfort of God that comes to you when you're going through your hardest times that you just don't experience any other way because the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's not far off. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He is right there. We just got to refocus and go, actually, I can't do this myself. I can't rely on me. I've got to rely on the God who raises the dead. And then I need to remember what He's done for me. The hardest thing that He ever did for you is not heal you of your pain, but to save your soul. He's already done that. Why would He save you to leave you to suffer? It's not God's plan for your life. But we have to get to that point where we surrender. We say, you know what, God, I can't do this without you. Let Him sanctify and heal, but then be of service to heal others. We refocus, we remember, and we rely on those around us. Why don't we all close our eyes just for a moment in this place. I don't want to belittle or minimize some of the trauma that you have faced in your life, that you're currently facing in your life, or maybe you have some anxiety about some stuff that you can see coming down the track. I don't want to minimize any of that. I don't want to tell you that you just need to get over it or anything like that. That's not what this message is about. This message, this beatitude is about surrendering and relying on God and being able in the midst of our mourning to still be full of joy because we know that He's with us. We know that He's got our best in mind. This beatitude is all about trust and surrender. Trusting Him with our pain. Trusting Him with our trauma. Trusting Him with our grief. So that we will be comforted. Because if we don't trust Him with it, we'll never find the comfort that we're looking for. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God wants to comfort you. He wants to comfort you. The only way that He can do that is if you trust and surrender. When Jesus went to heaven, He says, I leave with you the Holy Spirit, and He shall be your comforter. And he is here right now in this place. And if you're watching online, he's right now where you are because he is everywhere all the time. And he wants to come and comfort you. But it requires a surrender and a trust from us. And so while nobody's looking around today, and I certainly don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you're here and you're like, man, I've got got some serious pain I've got some serious trauma. And I need to surrender. I need to surrender and trust God. And then I need to find some reliable, solid relationships to pray for me. But I'd like to start by praying for you right now, if you'd let me do that. And so if you're here and you're like, man, I, I got, I'm stuck in mourning. I'm stuck in grief. I realize now I need to surrender this to God and trust Him with it. If that's you and you're here, but no one's looking around and you're like, man, Craig, would you pray for me that I'll be able to trust and surrender to God the stuff that I'm working through? Why don't you lift up your hand right now across this place? Come on. Awesome. Is anybody else 
As soon as I see it, you can put it down. Anybody else this morning? Why don't we all stand to our feet in this place? If you don't put your hand up, then can you pray with me for these guys? Because that's our responsibility. Remember, Paul says, because of your prayers. We may not have stuff that we're struggling to deal with, but our family does. And they need our prayers. And so we're going to join our prayers together. Because we're to agree on something. God moves, yes? Amen? Amen? That's two. We're good. Let's pray. Father, Holy Spirit, come right now. Father, it's a real battle to surrender our pain because it's painful. It's a real battle to trust you with this stuff because sometimes the way that you bring about healing just feels really, really uncomfortable. Doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right. It's always the right thing for us, but it's hard for us to get our heads around it at times. And so I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that as these people have said, you know what? I surrender and I trust that the process of sanctification would be swift for them. That in their surrender, that the, the God of all comfort would come right now and that that comfort would bring healing, that that comfort would bring peace, that that comfort would destroy anxiety, that that comfort would lift off the burden of pain and guilt and shame, that the enemy, that, that they would have a sense of lightness to their spirits, lightness to their soul, that they'd have a sense of being carried by the comforter, by the one. Lord, I, I just get a picture right now. Lord, there's is like a little kid falls over and grazes their knee. The first thing that happens is they go into the embrace of their mother. They are comforted in their pain. So Father, I pray right now for every single person that lifted their hand, that they would experience the embrace and the comfort of the comforter right now. Lord, that you would start to um, wrap your arms around them. Wrap your arms around them in Jesus' name. Come on.